Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That is our number. Good morning. I am Ron Wilson, your personal yard boy, talking about yardening. Halfway through the month of February. Boy, it's around and third and heading for home now. March is right around the corner. But you'd never know that. You would think we were in March and maybe even April, the way the weather's been lately. Let's find out what's going on out there with our executive producer. Of course, he's in charge of our website. Uh, It's at ronwilsononline.com. His name is Joe Strecker. That means it's time for the Cup of Joe. I must tell you, I'm loving this spring weather. Why? Because I, you know, I don't like the cold. That's true. So yeah, spring has sprung. Well, what about Even the plants we got two out weeks there, of winter to go? I'm sure we'll get another frost here. Well, probably it's March the twentieth, yeah. really. But, something like but that. But I'm or... I'm loving it. You know, no jacket today. Yeah. Shorts. Yeah. Loving it. Well, I do that anyway. Well, you it could be ten below and you will still wear shorts, but, but I still wear a winter coat. But, but yeah, you do. But yeah. it's still kind of weird. Nervous about the plants. I feel bad for people that are in the fruit and berry production. Yeah business because you never know what's going to happen here this this warm this early is not not a good thing but it's the way it is we can't do anything about it can't change it that's yeah, it there's nothing you can do about it you just got to live through it and adapt but you know what's neat you posted that um growing degree day the phenology calendar yes. that yes. Uh, osu put together yeah on that's, our... a, that's a couple pages back so you have so to you kind of scroll, scroll back, back a couple uh, weeks i think it was february 2nd maybe yeah but that is a really interesting way to find out where we are right now to show you how far ahead we are in the season with growing degree days. It's a pretty cool chart. And I actually I actually checked the soil temperatures yesterday. Yeah. I keep forgetting to do that. Any you wanna you wanna guess with the warmer uh, now, now think, boy. with the warmer temperatures, we, know we still had cold nights. And the cold nights are what's really saving us right now. Now we're gonna start having some warmer nights over the Ooh, next several days. I'm gonna say the soil temperature is still in the thirties. You're right. It was thirty nine degrees. Hmm. But not freezing, and yeah. I don't think the ground's actually frozen besides right at the very top for us yeah. all winter. Yeah, probably, because we haven't had that many really cold, at least no. around here. No. So, yeah, right at 39 degrees, so that's that's a good thing. Good. So, But I think when the but temperatures... But my bulbs are night- starting to come up, so... Yeah. Well, when nighttime temperatures start to warm up, as we've talked about this for years, uh, that'll really start to make the difference. So Yes. And days are starting to get longer, and the sun lasts longer, and... So Absolutely. you can't do anything about it. We sit back and watch it and just take advantage of the warmer days, like you said, and uh, get things done. So when the weather does officially break, you're ready to go. Yep. And hopefully I'll be ready to go here. Can you, you can you mow the lawn right now? You could. As a matter of fact, I've seen a couple of people out mowing. I, I think Gary Sullivan and I are going to have a hard time trying to predict when the grass officially turns green this spring. Yeah. Because it's already green. Well, some spots. Mine's still not green yet. Well, but there's there's some grasses that are uh, that go dormant that aren't green, but the, like some of the fescues and that, I mean, they really didn't 
the brown on the top a little bit. You bone that off, they're green as could be underneath. So could you do that? Absolutely. Um, folks, I saw some folks out working in the garden, the open garden, that have already started to do a little tilling because it's dry enough. There's the soil moisture's out of that that they can actually till this time of the year, which hmm. is unheard of. So, yeah, you can. There's a lot of uh, chores you can take care of now. So, and uh, if you have a home and garden show in your city, it's pretty. I'm sure they're rock and rolling right now. You should definitely yeah. hit them. Yeah, I know Cleveland had theirs. Uh, I know Columbus is the, uh, obviously because you kind of set me up there because actually I'm not even looking at you right now. because yeah. I'm in Columbus. Yes. Yeah, uh, for the Columbus Home and Garden Show, and the next weekend is the Cincinnati Home and Garden Show. Exactly. So if they're in your area, go see them. They're yes. the kickoff for the spring season. So, you missed yes. not having me sitting next to you, by the way. Yeah, a little bit because right is, now I'm just looking at the microphone. This is kind of like old times when back in the day. Yeah, back when I was allowed to hit your, run your show. When I just staring at the wall. And yeah, you were looking at an empty studio. Yeah, back when I was allowed to run your show. <laughs> You're still allowed if you like. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Come hmm. on in. Sure. Zach won't mind. Uh, the website. RonWilsonOnline.com. And filled with a whole bunch of updates. Well, you just keep posting all kinds of stuff on there. Well, you know, I you know, I just give, you know, you send me a lot of stuff. I find some stuff, and, you know, it, we, we upload it. You do. We get it up there. You do. And you do the Facebook page, too. Yes, I do. In the Garden with Ron Wilson. Yes, I do, where so, the chat room should be rocking and rolling. Yeah. And I have to keep reminding people about that because it's been kind of slow. I think uh, I... I, I Usually promoted our chat room all the time on our website. Now that it's on Facebook page, I yeah, we moved it to Facebook. To do that. Facebook dot com slash in the garden with Ron Wilson. Yeah, so we'll I'll keep reminding people through the show. I've got to do a better job. Yeah, no that. longer on Ron, no longer on the website. Nope, go to Facebook. Go to Facebook. Yes, but yeah, you've got uh, all the information on Facebook. Even more information on our website. You, you're just a wild man. Hey, okay. I'm just uh, doing that's, my job. That's Joey. Just doing my job. Uh, Rita's well. recipe of the week. Well. Rita's recipe of the week is a sheet pan chicken. Easy for you to say. With rosemary potatoes. Yeah, you mispronounced that. And, yeah. And uh, you're fired. Yeah. Sheet pan chicken with rosemary potatoes. Does that pass your what you're looking for when it comes to recipes? Uh, possibly. Um, you know, the, the, the potatoes. I mean, if I don't, you know, crush the, you know, put a ton of potatoes on there, but. Um, yeah, that, that looks pretty nice. Yeah. I could probably do that. I think she tailored that one for you as far as something you could do. So, As a matter of fact, she's going to be on the show this morning. What? She's going to call in. Obviously, she's not coming to the studios, but she's going to call in. We're going to talk to Rita at the top of the next hour. So, Cool. And uh, the bird count's going on. Yeah, the great backyard bird count. And it started uh, the 17th, but it runs through, I think it's through, is it through Monday? I think it's the, through the 20th. Yeah, yes. so it's Monday. So you can still do it. You don't have to do it every day. But uh, Joe's posted that on our website, so you can go there, get the link, and count the birds in your backyard. A lot of fun. And they really count on everybody, they meaning scientific research, counting on everybody to do as much as they can to make this bird count work. So check it out and uh, and do it. Take advantage of it. Even if you don't feed the birds, you can still do uh, whatever birds you see in your backyard. Plan of the week. Plan of the week. I like this one. And as a matter of fact, I'm surprised it's not in flower already with our early growing degree days. Uh, starting to accumulate, but it's Cornus Moss or Cornelian Cherry Dogwood. A very different dogwood. It's been around a long, 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 long time. Getting it back into the landscape again. Yellow flower early in the spring. As a matter of fact, a lot of folks think it's for Scythia in flower when Cornelian Cherry Dogwood or Cornus Moss is in flower when in essence it actually flowers two or three weeks before for Scythia even hmm. thinks about flowering. There you go. Red fruit in the fall, great fall color, tough, durable, takes the sun, takes light shade. But that's Cornus Moss or Cornelian Cherry Dogwood. Now, in addition to Rita, who else you got today? 
that Arbordock's going to be on. We're going to talk about the Growing Degree Days, where we stand right now, what he's seeing as far as trees. You know, is he concerned as a certified arborist, uh, what we're seeing out there? Um, he's also, you know, he's been very good at keeping us up to date on the drought index all around the United States. And, uh, you know, at this point right now, there's hardly there's hardly any spots in the U.S. That's showing drought. drought right now. Oh, yeah, we've had a ton of rain in our area. Yeah, and, and the West Coast. And, well, California had that monsoon. Yep. So it's so, yeah. uh, very interesting. But mostly talking about uh, this warmer weather and what uh, what he thinks about it. And what does he see over the next two or three weeks? Hmm, cool. And, of course, uh, Gary Sullivan will be here for Home Improvement. Gary Sullivan will be on. And I've got an update from Buggy Joe. I woke sure. him up this week, and I'll, I, I told him I'd just read it. Uh, just A lot of people ask him, what does this warm weather do to the insects out there, this yeah. early warm weather? He'd got a, I have a statement from Buggy Joe, and I'll, uh, I'll uh, spit that out there sometime during our show as well. Cool. That's it. That's it. That's it for you. Yeah, because you, you you got a you got a job to do here in, in Columbus. We do, and so if let's get started. If you're listening to us in the Columbus area, close by, come and see us at the Home and Garden Show. Going to be there from noon ten until noon today. So cool, Columbus Home and Garden Show. Yeah, yeah. Then on the stage at noon, the big stage. Yeah, answering questions. Are you wearing red? Woohoo! Nope, all black. <laughs> all black. All black. Well, station colors. Oh, okay. Black and red. Hmm. So, not scarlet and gray. Uh, no. You gonna wear the Brutus hat? I could wear my 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 Brutus Buckeye hat. I could the Brutus head. Yeah, that's what it is. That yeah, looks like a Buckeye. No, what, like we course. Oh, the oh <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, get those guys up at the other station to help you out. That I give that a shot. Cool. Thank you. That's it. All right. If you like Let's what go. you see on our website at ronwilsononline.com, dot com, Joe Strecker had everything to do with it. If you do not like what you see, not my fault. It is not his fault. Let Zach know about it. 800-823-8255. Here in the garden with Ron Wilson. Plant now or later. Ron can help at one eight hundred eight two three talk. You're listening to In the Garden with Ron Wilson. Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Again, that toll-free number, 800-823-8255. It is warm out there, for us anyway. And looking around the rest of the country, I think the same way. It's kind of crazy, but uh, we'll get through it. Nothing we can do about it, but we will talk about that as we go through our show this morning. A few things you can be doing out there on this extremely uh, unusual winter for us and probably for a lot of folks, like I said, uh, around the area as well. Rita Heikefeld will be with us in the next hour. Ron Rothers will be with us. Uh, talking about the warmer weather as well. And, of course, we're taking your calls in between 800-823-8255. John, good morning. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Hey, Ron, good morning. How are you? I'm good, sir. And yourself? Pretty good. Good. I uh, see. I uh, want to cut back some three different bushes. Two of them are willow. One's the Arctic blue, and the other is like the Japanese something. And Akiro Nashiki. Yeah, that's it. It's always my favorite one because I could say it. 
that's pretty good because I can't. <laughs> and then the other bush is the red twig dogwoods. So, yeah, mm. can I cut those back now and how much? Yeah, here's the, on the willows, we aren't worried about flowering. So you're just doing it as far as what? Just trying to keep them a little more controlled? Yeah, like the Arctic blue, it's kind of big, and I like that. <clears throat> but I'm just thinking about cutting off the tops, maybe oh. a third or, you know, even less than that. Yeah, so that's something you can do anytime between now and even when they start to leaf out, you can do that. And, you know, the thing of it is, John, when you, even when you get into the summer, up and through about uh, sometime mid to late July, you could still do some hand pruning on that and take a few branches out if needed. Once we get to August or so, we start slowing down on that because we don't want to force a lot of new growth that won't harden off. But you can keep with it during the season if needed. But any time between now and, and the leaf-out period will be fine on either one of those willows. I think the thing to remember is try to prune it. Don't shear them if you can get away from doing that. Do hand pruning so you keep that real natural look to it. Okay. And, and they do respond pretty well to pruning. So, you know, maybe if you were thinking, I'll take them a third of the way back, maybe take them a third and a little bit more. Okay. And then they'll, they'll respond nicely to that. I, I like both of those, and those are two way underused plants in the landscape, especially that uh, Akira Noshiki. You know, I've seen that one where folks have let that grow and get 12, 15 feet in diameter and I just know. absolutely gorgeous with that new foliage. Yeah, I have seen that. Yeah, really nice. And, and the Arctic is the same. I mean, for a, a smaller willow shrub, and I say smaller, it still can get uh, six, eight feet with no problem. But I like that, and uh, both both very nice. Um, the other one was a uh, red twig dogwood. Right. Here's the thing about the red twig. you got flowers that will come out on that thing in the springtime, mid to late spring, and they're that creamy color flower. Um, if you prune back now, you're going to lose those flowers. If you're not concerned about that, go ahead and cut it back just like you're doing the willows. But that is one situation where early pruning will take care of the flowers. If you want to see the flowers, let them flower, then go back in and cut them back and flush them back up. And I think the thing about red twig dogwood, for and again, nice plant, but that red twig is mostly the newer growth that comes out. So over time, as red twig dogwoods get um, older and that wood gets older, it becomes more of a uh, tan or gray color, not so much red. And occasionally, if you're looking for just that red effect, Every four or five years, you can go back in and cut those things almost back to the ground and flush up new plants, which will give you that nice red bark again that you had, you know, earlier on when they were younger plants. But it is a, a um, considered one of those spring bloomers, so if you prune it too early, you lose the flower. So keep that in mind. But otherwise, good plants. And uh, that's one of those things that right now, talking about pruning and getting outside, can you do that? You can. I'm holding back. I'm doing... I'm looking at things right now that I could do whole branch removal, um, you know, that type of thing, uh, clean up a little deadwood that I can see out there. I'm not getting too crazy yet. Just have to remember, we're still in the middle of February. Um, but, uh, you know, you can take advantage of this warmer weather and do a little bit of pruning out there. Evergreens, you could take a look at that as well. We'll talk about that as we get into the show. But, um, yeah, those are some of those little projects you can get out and take care of and take advantage of the weather we're having right now. Tim, good morning. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Good morning. Yes, sir. How are you today? I'm great. And yourself? Oh, just lovely. Good. I listen to your show every day, every Saturday morning on the way to work. It's very educational. I really enjoy it. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate that. Um, I have a problem with my house. I have It's a vinyl-sided home, mm -hmm. and I have, like, a, a vinyl decking and, and everything. And I have this, like, bright green algae that's growing. Every year I have to get my pressure washer out 
blast it off and everything. Is there a way I can get rid of it for good? Yep. That, well, n- not for good, but I'll tell you, there's two things you can use for an immediate clean. You got 30 seconds, a product called 30 seconds. You spray that on, give it 30 seconds, hose it off, and it's an immediate clean. And And I look at 30 seconds for, you know, cleaning the patio furniture and things like that. And there's another product we talk about all the time called wet and forget. Now, the thing about wet and forget is that it does exactly that. You spray it on, you wet it, and you forget about it. So you spray it on, you stand back and just watch. And all of a sudden, over three or four days, that green algae and moss will start to turn kind of a brown color. And it almost looks dirty, and you're like, what the heck's going on? Then the next thing you know, it starts to fall off, and then it goes away. And the thing about the wet and forget is that it it actually keeps eating at that for several months. So it's not a permanent you know, fixed to the situation, but it is a long-term uh, solution. So you may only have to do it once a year, but it really does a nice job. But that's called Wet and Forget. You can find that at a lot of the hardware stores. A lot of garden centers sell that. Or just go on their uh, website at Wet and Forget. I think it's just wetandforget.com, and they'll tell you where you can find it. But it does an absolutely great job long-term eating off that moss and algae over a long period of time. So that's your answer. And, you know, and the thing is where the moss and algae grows is usually, is it is it more of a shadier location? Okay, usually it's typically a shadier location, uh, and there's nothing you can do about that. You know, if you've got trees or whatever that's shading it, obviously you could thin the trees and kind of open it up to get a little more air, more sunlight in there. But when it's in a shady, like north, sometimes the northeast side of the house where it just gets a little sun in the morning, but basically shade all the time, that stuff starts to show up. And I'll tell you, that I've used wet and forget and 30 seconds for a long, long time. And, again, two different, you know, this, they, they do the kind of the same thing as far as getting rid of the moss and algae. But, like I said, the 30 seconds is that quick clean. The wet and forget is the long-term clean. Um, as a matter of fact, wet and forget even has products like, uh, and I use this all the time, the wet and forget for showers. They actually have a wet and forget for showers, has a vanilla scent, that you go and spray your shower about once a week or once every two weeks, and it actually eats the scum and things like that out of your bathtub and your shower, and it smells good at the same time. And it works the same way. It works over a period of time. So long story for a quick answer, but wet and forget for the long term, uh, 30 seconds for just a quick clean as we get out of the winter and going into the spring season. Uh, look at that one for cleaning off the patio furniture, maybe the, the quick clean for the deck, something like that. 30 seconds. Wet and forget. Quick break. We come back. We'll continue on. 800-823-8255 is our number. Don't forget our website, ronwilsononline.com. Of course, our chat going on on our Facebook page, In the Garden with Ron Wilson. Live garden chat. Check it out. In the Garden with Ron Wilson. Facebook page. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Landscaping made easier with your personal yard boy. He's in the garden, and he's Ron Wilson.
Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Again, that toll-free number, 800-823-8255. Don't forget our website, ronwilsononline.com. Lots of great info. And, of course, our Facebook chat. We are now doing that live on our Facebook page. It's in the garden with Ron Wilson, so be sure and go there. Um, we had a transition from our website to our Facebook page, and uh, it's still going there. And you can chat. You'll see. You just go to the Facebook page, and you'll see uh, where to join in. But, again, that's happening at In the Garden with Ron Wilson Facebook page. Be sure and uh, check that out. If you've never been there before, be our friend on Facebook and uh, see all the great information that gets posted there as well. Comments from our uh, listeners and our friends on Facebook and, of course, our Saturday morning uh, Facebook chat. Uh, So be sure and check that out as well. Of course, we're experiencing some extremely warm temperatures right now. It's been very unusual um, for the month of February. Looking back over the past... Um, I, I heard some stats last night on the uh, with the weather station that I don't know it's I thought they said 1976 or so but somewhere around there we actually in February had a series of days that were in the 50s and 60s and they were talking like 10 or 11 days uh, or, or more that it did that in that particular year and of course looking back I think 1911 we had highs in the 70s back then so it's happened before it's not the first time that this has happened. But it hasn't happened for a while, and uh, I was trying to think back. Of course, I was just a youngster back then. If it was in '76, with a series of uh, of warm days in February, um, I don't remember that. But doesn't that doesn't mean anything, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, I think I was still in college at that time, so probably not paying a whole lot of attention. But anyway, uh, it has happened, and like I said earlier, we're talking with Joe Strecker. Um, our executive producer. And by the way, Joe was in here for a little while. Zach's in here now. He was filling in a little bit for us this morning. We do appreciate Joe uh, doing that for us. Um, But as we were talking earlier, um, you know, there's really nothing we can do about it. We have to sit back and relax and just kind of wait and see what happens. I think when we get into warm weather like this, um, you got to remind yourself what the date is and start, you know, keep saying, you know, it's February the 18th. And I know it's nice weather out there and all, but it's still February the 18th. What the future brings, I don't know. As a matter of fact, we're going to have Ron Rothis on in our next hour. And I'm sure he's looking right now at the trends just to try to get a general feel for what we may see in the next two or three weeks. But uh, I, I, And maybe he's got some insight on that. But, you know, for the warm weather we're going to experience this weekend and through next week, um, nothing you can do about it besides take advantage of it and maybe get out and do some things in the yard and garden that you typically would not be doing until March. And you will probably see, and I know in our area, some landscape firms that are out planting some larger trees and larger evergreens and a few things like that. It's dry enough. We haven't had a lot of moisture recently, so the soil is actually fairly dry in, in many areas. If you can get in a plant, we'll, we'll be doing that, planting dormant plants, uh, larger plants can do that. You'll see landscape crews out taking advantage of these warmer days in February to already start to edge the beds, to already start to fluff up the beds and uh, the mulch. Um, And they'll probably start mulching. Um, And, you know, that's one of those things we talk about and I always get emails about and questions about is when is the best time to apply mulch in the spring? Um, Horticulturally speaking, um, for the most part, I still say it becomes a, um, you're finished planting in the spring, we're getting ready to go into the summer. That's when you come in and do a final touch-up with the mulching because you're doing a summer mulch to keep those those roots cool and moist as we go through the summer season. 
you know, when you're mulching earlier in the year, like right now or early March, and a lot of crews get started early because they have a lot of customers to take care of, um, by applying extra mulch this time of the year, a couple things it can do. It can keep the soils cooler so they don't warm up quite as quickly in the springtime. There's pluses and minuses to that. It can also keep them wetter if it's wet when you're applying the mulch. The soil's really saturated um, and with a lot of mulch on top. The reason we put it down for summer protection is to help hold the moisture in well. It'll do the same thing in the spring and not dry out as quickly. Now, you can get by with that around the larger trees and shrubs, evergreens, established landscape plantings. That works. You know, you can pull that off. Again, horticulturally speaking, you probably would like, I do, I wait until later into the season before I do any mulching. Um, It's better to wait, but you can do that, and that's why they do it. So you can pull that off. Where I definitely would not do that, I don't think, is in the perennial areas, areas where you're going to be planting annuals, things like that, where you want it to warm up, dry out, not stay wet. I'd leave that alone. But that's where I look at, like, the garden weasel, um, a nice rake or whatever to get out and just fluff up the mulch that's already there. And a lot of times when you fluff up the existing mulch, it looks good. You turn it over. It kind of freshens it up. And you may find that you don't need to add any mulch at all or very little. So, you know, when you're doing your spring cleanup and you're edging the beds and cleaning out all the debris and you're looking at the mulch, don't just go buy mulch, bulk mulch or bagged mulch or whatever it may be, and just reapply it on top to freshen everything up. Remember, we want a levels, and it's my opinion, I like it between one and three inches deep. Larger established plants, trees and shrubs, evergreens, you may go, you could go deeper than that. I don't like to. One to three inches, I think, is more than enough. But um, again, measure the depth of the mulch that's there right now and see where you are. And don't get it too deep. Um, it can You really have some detrimental effects on those plants down the road. Um, I think I see more situations where the mulch is too deep than when it's not deep enough or not thick enough. So be smart about that, please. Fluff it up first. I know that's a little extra work. But again, that little extra work may save you some money in the long run because you decide you don't really need to add a lot of mulch and maybe you only need a 10 bags instead of 50 to kind of freshen up and hit areas that may have thinned out a little bit or blew out over the winter or whatever it may be, and and you're good to go. Now, the other question that comes up is what about pre-emergent herbicides? With it staying so warm like this, um, you know, the weeds are going to start germinating, they're going to get away from me, and I'm going to lose the whole thing. Can I put pre-emergent herbicides down this time of the year? Well, the answer is, sure, that's what you want to do. The Mostly the weeds that you see coming up right now started coming up in the fall, winter annuals, that started germinating in September, October, November, December, with the warm weather that we've had probably still germinating over the winter. And they'll germinate a little bit in the spring as well. Um, but most of those have already started to come up. If that's the case... Uh, the pre-emergent herbicide is not going to do any good with now that the seeds have already started to grow and they're rooted, starting to root in. So that's where now you get the rake out and rake those out and pull them out. But for the lawn where we start thinking about crabgrass and for the beds where we start thinking about other weeds, that their seeds are going to blow in and start to come up. Um, I don't worry about the landscape too much right now with pre-emergent, but if, you, if you're scared, you're afraid that maybe you're going to wait too long on that crabgrass pre-emergent, here's the thing to remember. I bring this up every year. The soil and air temperatures need to be 55 degrees consistently 
and I'm talking on the top and I'm talking down below, 55 degrees consistently for those weed seeds to start to think about germinating. And they don't all germinate at the same time. They'll just start germinating when the temperatures get to that point and right on through into early summer. So you've got to think about that. And you say, okay, I can watch the temperatures on you know the thermometer, but what about the soil? Soil thermometer. That's where your soil thermometer comes in handy. You can buy a soil thermometer for 10 bucks, 15 bucks at your local garden center. You can order them online, whatever it may be. But it'll tell you the soil temperature, and then you can compare those two to see if you're getting close to time for those seeds to germinate. Quick break. We come back. I'll tell you more about that. Pre-emergent herbicides, what happens to the bugs this time of the year, all kinds of things for you. Here in the garden with Ron Wilson. Landscaping made easier with your personal yard boy. He's in the garden, and he's Ron Wilson. Good morning. Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Again, that toll-free number, 800-823-8255. Working our way through the month of February. It is the 18th. Getting our way through here. And boy, it's uh, been an unusual, no doubt about it, with this warmer weather. Uh, Lots of questions. What can I be doing right now? Well, we'll talk about that as we go through our show. But right now, let's go to Kentucky and talk to John. John, good morning. Yes, sir. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. I can't remember a warmer winter. Yeah, this is, is I mean, I heard some stats yesterday, but I can't remember back, uh, they were saying like in 76 we had a string of pretty warm uh, days, but I don't remember that. But, yeah, this has been very unusual. So, Ron, I have in my yard uh, a lot of small trees. I just kind of let the seeds come up when I weed my flower beds. I have a lot of red bugs, and uh, I have a few oaks and a lot of tulip poplars. And... Uh, and they're all getting to be about two, three, four feet, and maybe the biggest one's a little taller. And uh, I'd like to give them to some of my family and friends to put in their yards, and I've had some success transplanting them around my yard at the various times of year. But my question is, is would now be a good time to get those trees out of the ground and put them where they're going to go? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, some of the nurseries have taken advantage of that. You know, it's not too wet out there right now. The warmer temperatures and actually popping a few trees and a few uh, deciduous shrubs and things like that out of the ground and getting a, kind of an early jump on the, some of the digging. So could you do it with the way the weather's going to be? be? I would say absolutely. Um, do you usually just dig them and go ahead and transplant same time, or do you grow them in a pot for a while? I usually just take them and transplant them at the same time yeah okay and you're able to get some kind of a root system out of them because sometimes when you know you, you let those things come up they've just got like three or four big roots kind of sticking out to the sides 
not a whole lot to them, but you've been able to do that and be fairly successful. I've had the best luck with the smaller trees. Yeah. Yeah. So you get them, get them when they're like uh, 12, 14 inches, 18 inches or so? Yes. Yeah. 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 That's... I have good-looking ones. I want to give them to my in-laws, and they'd like to have them in their, in their yard. And I just want to make sure I get them over there in one piece so that they grow. And Yeah, and I think that, you know, the thing about right now, John, is if you dig those, say you went out today and, and you dug all of those or whatever you're going to dig up, and if you lose all the soil off of the root ball, whatever's going to be down there, it's okay because that's the way that used to be done many, many years ago. This time of the year, they would go and dig those plants, bare root them, ship them to wherever they're going to go, uh, fruit trees and things like that. We heal those in in straw or uh, straw or sawdust or peat moss, and then sell them. Hopefully, before they started to leaf back out again. If you didn't, then you wind up putting them in a pot or something like that as they started to leaf out and let them root in the pot. So if you bare root them, not an issue. You just get them back and get them replanted. I I think the big thing is, I always tell people if you can't tell where the original soil line was, where they were growing in the ground, how deep to plant those. Take a magic marker and just mark it real quick on the trunk line where the soil level is so that when you go to replant those, you don't plant them too deep. Yeah, that's a great idea. And other than that, I you know, get them in, get them watered in well. You know, if, they, if they've got a nice root system, they can support themselves great. And I usually tell people the other thing. When they're small like that, I... Uh, I like putting a little uh, uh, chicken wire or something around them when they're young like that because critters absolutely love those. And, you know, deer can come along and step on them. Voles love to uh, chew on the bark. Rabbits like to chew on them. We're still early enough in the in the winter yet that, you know, you, you, know, you could get some issues there. So if you do the, that movement, I would certainly protect them, make sure they put like at least a three-foot mulch ring around the outside of them and, uh, and then go from there. But I, I wouldn't hesitate to do that this, time, this weekend. I think that's what I'll be doing this weekend then. All right. We'll have a good time with it, and then uh, let me know how they turn out. Will do. Thank you. All right. Good talking to you. Let's go back down to Kentucky. We're going to talk to Blake. Good morning. Favorite listener. Hey, how are you? I am super. Good. Um, I've been thinking about taking out a second mortgage on my house <laughs> and buying some tomatoes. And... Uh, at the store and using them, uh, the seeds, as uh, uh, my tomato plants this year to get a, a jump on things, you know, starting them in the house. Right. Is, is that easy and possible? Is it possible? Yes, it is. But here's the thing to remember, Blake. If you, if you don't know what the variety is that you're buying in the, in the grocery store, if they're not an heirloom selection and they're a hybrid tomato, whatever you plant, you will not necessarily get that same tomato plant. Now, you get a tomato plant, and it'll produce tomatoes, but it may not be the exact same tomato that you bought because hybrids are a cross between two different – they have two different parents. Yeah. And they, they cross those two different parents, and those seeds do not come true to, to, to seeds. In other words, that plant that was produced from the cross-pollination, um, it has great fruit, and it'll always have that same fruit, but if you take the seed from it, you may not get the same thing. Heirloom tomatoes, on the other hand, are open pollinated. So when you take the seeds from heirloom tomatoes, they do come back the same. So I when you're see. so what you're at the grocery store, and if they've got those real colorful, unusual heirloom tomatoes, you know you'll get the same plant. 
Otherwise, when you do the other tomatoes, not necessarily come true to, true to seed. Now, the um, cherry tomatoes, um, the grape tomatoes, probably so. Because, you know, cherry tomatoes will okay. drop seeds and they'll come up everywhere. So that that you'll probably still get cherry tomatoes. Um, okay. They may, may vary a little bit, but that's what you get into. But can you do that? Absolutely. Now, my my uh, follow up on that is: will they will they taste better than they do in the store? Well, you know, the the taste in the store comes from a couple of things. One is depending on the variety that they're growing, obviously. And if it's for sometimes there'll be there are some hybrids out there that are grown for. Good production, but also that hold up longer, that are maybe thicker walled or. That's uh, exactly know. what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So there, it depends on the variety, and then it depends on when they were picked. So you know, you get the tomatoes that are picked just coming out of that dark green, starting to get a, a lighter green, not turning red yet. They can pick those at that stage, you know, from maybe California or whatever. Ship them here. During that time, they're subjected to the uh, ethylene gases and all of that to ripen them so that by the time they get to the grocery store, they've turned red. So that's where they all came back with the old hothouse tomato. That's where that phrase oh, came yeah. from. Put them in a warm boxcar with the gas, and they, they would ripen between where they were picked and where they're sold. So, you know, you don't have the same flavor from that as you would picking from a fresh vine. Well, then they found some varieties that said, okay, so we're going to grow them and leave them on the vine. So now you buy tomatoes where they're still attached to the vine, uh, and they seem to have a little bit better flavor for you. And there's still some growers out there that will grow in greenhouses, which uh, I, I still think greenhouse-grown tomatoes are hard sometimes, depending on the variety, are hard to tell the difference between those and the, grown, the ones that are grown outside. True. But that's where the old hothouse thing comes from, and that's why they're not quite as flavorful. But you got to admit, over the last 10 or 15 years, the flavor of tomatoes during the winter time are a lot better today than they were 10 or 15 years ago. Yes, they were like wax marbles yeah. back then. Yeah, well. because they, they've they increased they better shipping. They can get them to you quicker. They can pick them later, newer selections, and, and the greenhouse growing as well. And like I say, I, tomatoes over the wintertime to me, they, they don't have the flavor, there's no doubt, but they aren't as bad as they used to be many years ago. Okay. Well, thank you. You've been a big help. All right. My pleasure, my man. Have a good luck with everything. And by the way, when you when uh, if you're ever thinking about doing that, um, and you you know you, you can save the seeds. Remember, you want to get them out of that gel, let them dry. And what I'll do is just take those out of that uh, out of the tomato, the ripe tomato, spread them out on a paper towel, and let let the paper towel sit in like a cookie sheet or something. The 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 gel that's held around those will eventually dry. And when it dries, the seed will stick itself to the paper towel. You can just take that paper towel and roll it up and store it away until you're ready to pull those off and plant them. And you can actually plant the tomato seed in the paper towel. You can just tear off a little piece with a seed attached to it. I think that's one of the easiest ways to save tomato seeds of all. And by the way, the gels around those um, to keep them from germinating. So if sometimes you'll open up a tomato and start to you see where the seeds are starting to grow inside. Usually it doesn't have any gel left inside there. Quick break, we come back. Rita Heikenfeld coming up next. Yeah, I don't know what she's going to talk about, but she's always talking about good things here in the garden with Ron Wilson. Help for the do-it-yourself gardener at 1-800-823-TALK. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson.
Our toll-free number here in the garden, 800-823-8255. Good morning, I am Ron Wilson, your personal yard boy. Talking about yarding, don't forget our website, it's ronwilsononline.com. Also, don't forget our live garden chat, uh, which we used to have on our on our, uh, fa- on our, uh, our website, has been moved to our Facebook page. So if you want to do the live Facebook chat, it's In the Garden with Ron Wilson. Be our friend on Facebook, In the Garden with Ron Wilson, and you can do the Facebook chat. And it's alive, and uh, we get a few gardeners on there every Saturday morning that can uh, chat back and forth. Ron Rothis, who will be joining us in our next half hour, uh, the certified arborist, will be on there. You can talk about trees. Um, so it's it's a lot of fun. And we did make a, ch- a change. It was on our website for years. And unfortunately, the systems all changed, and we weren't able to keep it going on there. So we had to switch and go to the Facebook chat. So we are trying to... A lot of, we lost a few folks going through this transition, so trying to remind everybody that's where we are now. So it's In the Garden with Ron Wilson, Facebook page, and that's where the Saturday morning garden chat will be uh, from this point on. Uh, so we call it the Facebook garden chat, so be sure and check that out. Now, we went into the break before I said something about Rita Heikenfeld being on with us this morning. I said I have no idea what she's going to talk about. I know what she's going to talk about. I just do that because it kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat because you, then you're like, wow, I wonder what she is going to talk about. Well, she's with us. She is Rita Nader Heikenfeld, our certified, is it Appalachian? Appalachian Herbal Scholar. Herbal Scholar. I have a hard time. A-H-S. <laughs> or A-H-S. A-H-S. Oh, Appalachian Herbal Scholar. Oh, well, you I got CCP and yeah. all those other things up there. We'll just keep putting all these abbreviations <laughs> up there for you. So. Well, you know what? The most important thing is that I'm just me. Without well, all those letters, and you are you are you, and there is no other than Rita Heikenfeld. It's CCP, CMH, and Appalachian Bible Herbal Scholar. That would be an ABHS. Oh, I guess. And of course, her website is abouteating.com, and you'll find all of her great recipes and all on our website at ronwilsononline.com. And Rita Heikenfeld, we appreciate having you on with us this morning. And how are the uh, how are you doing dealing with this uh, warmer weather? I mean, you've been a gardening for several years. Do you remember? Uh, of February like this? No, um, well, sort of, but Frank, you know, my husband, he's the like the meteorologist of the family. He will remember, but, you know, I sort of live day to day, and I'll tell you what, my <laughs> that's, friend... That you do. That is. See, I live in the present. <laughs> <laughs> and you used to live way back in the past, and you'll <laughs> yeah. still be here way out in the future when we're all gone, so... Oh, and nobody even knows why you said that, but Because anyway, you're a part-time witch... Doctor. Doctor. Yes. Accent on the doctor. <laughs> anyway, our friend Ray brought me, um, I think I told you, two huge piles. I call them black gold. But of, you don't uh, have to call me Ray. Hmm? You can call me Jay, Ray or you can call me Jay, <laughs> but you don't have to call me Johnson. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. All right. Well, see, now I don't even know what I'm going to talk about. He but brought anyway, what? Big piles of? Uh, I call them black gold. Every couple years he brings me huge piles of horse manure and okay. i'm telling you what when i walk past them everybody makes fun of me because i just think they smell wonderful because i i can see all the possibilities so they're out there now the last couple of days they've been real steamy because of the heat and the manure's fresh and so yesterday we tilled the garden partly for radishes and early lettuces and that sort of thing you know what i'm, I'm like everybody else you get a few warm days and you jump the gun and so this well, year I that gotta was, be careful about it. Well, that was my first question for you because you know I I know you're right. Let's get it. Let's do this. But Mr. Heikenfeld is a little more laid back. Yes, he is. So I just was going to ask, you know, is he with this warm weather? He's kind of just saying, 
Rita, just hang on. Take it easy. It's only February the 18th. Well. Or is, or is he just going, is he going into it too? Well, I sort of got him enthused because oh, remember the. keeping the, you happy then. <laughs> the Cincinnati radishes. Yes. Do you remember the packet of Cincinnati yes. radish seeds? Old heirloom radish. Yes. Well, he just loved those last year. So um, every time I grow radishes, I think I plant them too late in the season, although it's pretty early, and they get pithy and too hot. So he was all excited because I told him I'd plant him some radishes if he tilled up the garden. So that's where we're at today. But you're right. Do I you mean, need more of those? I, I can always use more radishes. I will be with the folks today. I'm at the Columbus Home and Garden oh, Show. Oh, you are. And I will be with the folks from Circa Plants. Oh, my goodness. And that's where I get those Cincinnati radish seeds. Oh, well, tell them. They're just—they're not only so good because they, they're heirloom, but they're really special, and they grow really well. They used and they're to, beautiful. That's from like the early 1900s. Was it? Oh, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure. They used to ship those out of Cincinnati, uh, and they were real famous at one time. Is that right? Yep. I don't remember that, but then anyway. Well, you weren't gardening as much back then. <laughs> And um, I noticed, um, thank Here, you for... Hey, can I say something, one more thing? Yeah, sure. One thing I do want to forewarn you about. What? And I need to give you guys a soil thermometer. You know, you and oh, I do you, a lot of talks, yeah, and I've always got yeah, one with me. Yes. But I need to give you one so Mr. Heikenfeld would have one. To, to, because you don't want to really start doing that till the soil temps are about 45 degrees. Oh, really? Even with, like, radish seeds and such? Well, a lot of times they won't germinate unless it's 45 degrees. Well, I know um, my uh, friend across the road, Erin, um, is, is starting plants inside, all the early ones, like mm-hmm. spinach. She asked me if she should could plant them, and I told her I knew you couldn't it's, do that. It's, it's 45 degrees is like the typically the starting point for peas. Onions can do that. Maybe radishes and some of those earlier crops. I did the soil, t- uh, looked at my soil thermometer yesterday. Yeah, what was it? We were just at 39 to 40 degrees. Oh, see, that makes sense because um, he tilled up part of it, but I noticed that some of, like, um, you know, the bigger rocks and stuff, you know, that you find in a garden, that mm-hmm. some of them were still sort of stuck in the soil. Yeah, so, um, so I think frozen. here's the thing, though. If you've got some um, plastic that you can make a miniature greenhouse and just make a hoop over the top of it, you can go ahead and do that. And that was one of the tips I was going to say today was that if you can make little hoop greenhouses just in a small portion of your garden, that's a way to jump on that. It warms the soil up quicker, and you can start some of those little greens, some of the radishes and things like that now, and take advantage of the of, of the temps because the soil temps are still fairly cool. Hmm. But that'll warm them up. A few bales of straw side by side, and then put a you know like an old uh, um, screen door with glass in it. Oh, Over- like the old fashioned. Um- yeah, like the what we call hot houses. Which yeah, I, like you make your I own little hot house. Yeah, but and, and you could do that, and it helps to get you off to an earlier start. Because I still think back several years ago, when you and Mister Heikenfeld got uh, jumped on those potatoes really early. Oh my gosh! Those <laughs> and because it was like rotted. this. Oh yeah, we had nothing. Yeah, so you got to got to be a little careful. But that, I just want to bring that up because it is right about forty degrees now. With the warm weather we're going to have over the next four or five days, it'll it'll bring it up into the forties. But then does it stay? That's what Frank But then was does it saying. stay? And that's the kicker. Stay. Exactly. So you do the hoop house or the straw bales and cover it over with some sash or something. You created a mini greenhouse and, and you can pull that off this early. Well, I like that idea because I do have um, like a little hot house, but then you have to transfer the plant. So if I do with the straw bales, that sounds 
the best for me. Mr. Heigenfeld said when he fires up that potbelly stove, your house is like a little hot house. It is. You know, yesterday, that's what we were doing, too. We were getting splitting wood for next year. You know, it never ends. You, you're finished with one season, and you always have to look ahead to the next. But, um, yeah, I have to admit, these warm days, the wild yellow aconite is blooming in the woods. Oh, my goodness. And... And even like the hydrangea bushes outside, and they look like they're just ready to pop. They're real, you know, the winter buds are like all really swollen. So we'll see, I guess, what's going to happen. Well, nothing we can do about it besides mm -mm. sit back and wait. I think the people I feel the um, most for right now are the fruit and berry producers. Oh, yeah. That's because, you know, that could really mess up your season. Oh, that's so true. Well, hey, while we're on fruit and berries, I've got a question. Okay. I know that, like, the blackberries and the raspberries, you're supposed to trim them waist-high, hip-high, something like that. You know, get the old um, canes off, mm -hmm. and you can do that now. Well, I was thinking, I, last year I did it, like, waist-high, and they were way too short. So, and don't even ask me why. You know why. I'm a little short. But anyway, so... <laughs> and you were standing on your tiptoes when you pruned them. Now, you, what were you doing, watching? <laughs> You must have been passing, trolling the road. Anyway, um, so for somebody who doesn't have a lot of height, I mean, what is it, like four feet? Yeah. Four feet, you're, and you're doing, like that? And it depends. You know, pruning raspberries and pruning blackberries are different. And so it depends on where, how you're going to tip them out, when you're going to take out old canes, um, et cetera, et cetera. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about your recipe for this week. I know you want to mention something about garlic. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about pruning those brambles. Sounds good. All right, let's take a break. We come back. We'll continue on. Rita Heikenfeld, our special guest this morning here in the garden with Ron Wilson. Problems distinguishing between weeds and what you planted? Call Ron at 1-800-823-TALK. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Welcome back here in the garden with Ron Wilson. Again, uh, Rita Heikenfeld, our special guest this morning, talking about all kinds of things and, of course, our warm weather and gardening. And I think the thing to remember about brambles is it depends. You know, there are so many different types out there. It's almost like pruning hydrangeas. Oh, yeah. I know you have to be careful there because some flowers grow on new growth and old growth, right? Yeah, you got primal canes. you got the old canes, you know, the, the flora canes, some of the... I like, you know, like the heritage red raspberry, which is an ever-bearing. You get two flowerings out of it to just let it flower in the late summer and fall and then just cut them all down and it's come back up so you get one crop a year. It makes it so easy for you. There's now a blackberry that's like that. It's called uh, Primark Freedom, I believe. And really? it flowers on the, yeah, the first year's growth. So you can actually harvest in the late summer 
then just cut it all down, let it come back up again. So it makes it really easy. You don't get confused. Hmm. But with blackberries, it usually is a tipping or topping at about four feet to create those lateral branches off to the side. That makes sense. And I and I have to tell, um, give this little tip for anybody who is growing the thornless blackberries. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Are they ever aggressive? Those things. As far as vining out? Yes. Yeah. Yes. They've to my elderberry patch. Um and I get a pretty good yield, too, but, boy, those things, uh, those canes reach way, way far out. So I'm going to make sure I prune those back. But anyway, it's it's been fun having these few warm days. And um, I see all my garlic that I planted last fall is all sprouted. It's all sprouted. So I'm just going to leave that alone because that's pretty hardy. Yeah, you, oh, you're, you know, to cover anything up right now, I mean, like bulbs, people are concerned about, mm-hmm. just don't, just let it go. You yeah, know, it'll, it'll take care of itself. It'll be fine. I know. And, and garlic, as I said, I know it's pretty hearty. Um, and talking about garlic. Yeah, you know, uh, roasted garlic. You know, sometimes you can you eat things where people put a lot of garlic. It can just be too garlicky. Mm-hmm. But roasted garlic, why is it you can roast a garlic clove and just eat it? Well, what happens when you roast it, it not only breaks the cellular structure down, it makes it real soft and ver- and creamy and then... It takes the bite out of it, but you still get all the good flavor, but it's just so so much more mild. And um, if you buy or even harvest, if you're growing garlic and you have a lot of cloves, what I've been doing, and and it's really a good tip, um, because even if you're buying garlic and say it's in the pantry or wherever you store it with the potatoes and it's starting to sprout, um, you got to start using it right away. You can either plant the little um, cloves in uh, soil, and then you'll start new garlic, have like green garlic, which is good. But mm-hmm. what I do a lot of times, I've got a lot from last year, is I just took the tops off, just cut the tops off a little bit, and then put them um, in a pan. And you can do this with a single um, head or just multiple. So you cut the tops off, and then you uh, drizzle them with a little olive oil, and if you want some herbs, but that's not really necessary. And if you just have a couple heads, you can wrap them tightly in foil, make like a little foil pouch. And then, excuse me, you just roast them in the oven. And honestly, um, 375, 350, 400, it doesn't matter because you're going to roast them long enough for them uh, when you take your fingers and and smush them. You know, you'll feel the the softness of the garlic. The the garlic will collapse. And then you can freeze it, excuse me, or use it any which way. But since I have so many, I took like a, a small cookie sheet and put them all on there and put a little bit of water in the pan. And then I covered it tightly with foil and roasted them that way. Um, and it just, you know, now I've got roasted garlic that I can freeze. I'll have enough for several months. So just a good way to use your garlic. And by the way, too, if you have garlic at the, that you buy or um, that's a big fresh head, you can freeze it whole without peeling, without anything. Just freeze it whole hard. Excuse me, and then you can just uh, put it in freezer containers. It'll last up to a year, and then when you thaw it out and use it, it's sort of pungent, but not quite as pungent as the raw garlic. So there's another tip you can have. Excellent, and I do like the one about growing them because a lot of times they'll start to sprout. Mm-hmm. You can just pop them in some soil and grow them and use the greens. Well, you know that's um, getting second life out of your veggies and such. And I think you you told me that years ago, mm-hmm. even with like. Um, 
the bottoms of celery, you know, um, you can put that in water and you'll, you'll have new growth. And green onions, people are doing that because it's, you know, that no-waste mentality that so many of us are embracing. So, And it's fun for the kids, too. Well, we bought some of that the artisan lettuce that comes in those small heads, oh, cl- yeah. clumps. And we, we were at Carly's, and I, we cut it off and used the lettuce. Well, I just took two of those and put them in a little bowl of water, just set them to the bottoms. Mm-hmm. Well, they started regrowing in about a day and a half. Oh, yeah. And they had all new lettuce on the top of that. The kids were like, whoa, you got to be kidding me. Very cool. Well, it's yeah. funny because I'm doing, uh, for Countryside Magazine, I'm writing an article on, um, <clears throat> excuse me, hydroponics, you know, easy ones, not complicated ones. Mm-hmm. And that was um, one of the things that I've done, too, because you've got that bottom and the root system just ready to pop out if you give it mm-hmm. a little bit of moisture. That's all it takes. Hey, by the way, the recipe for Rita today is the sheet pan suppers. Chicken with rosemary potatoes. It's a great recipe, and of course, if it comes from Rita, you know it's easy to do, and it always tastes great as well. We, we appreciate all of the uh, recipes and, of course, the time you spend with us. And, of course, her website is abouteating.com, and I know you're getting a lot of garden talks and cooking classes scheduled. I'm looking forward to our uh, our uh, spring roundabout when we go around and do a lot of classes we always have a lot of fun that is you know it's funny because that's the time that we see each other spring and early summer yep. and then it's like we go in hibernation we don't see yeah. each other till just the talk next on the phone or email and that's about <laughs> it see you next spring okay that's true <laughs> well tell mr heikenfeld i said hello i know he's lying in state yep i will do that and fix him that nice. big breakfast as you always do uh-huh sure and it was nice talking biscuits to gravy yeah he would like that fresh ham yeah, you can come over and fix it. How's that? <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. Hey, thank you. Always a pleasure. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Rita Heikenfeld, and of course, her website again, abouteating.com, and you can find all of her recipes uh, with us that she shares on a weekly basis on our website at ronwilsononline.com. We're going to take a quick break. We come back. We're going to talk with the uh, Arbor Duck, Ron Rothis, to talk about what this warm weather has been doing to our plants out there, what he's seeing in the trees, and what does he see over the next two or three weeks? That's what really has me concerned. Here in the Garden with Ron Wilson. Make your yard the best on the block with a call to Ron at 1-800-823-TALK. This is In the Garden with Ron Wilson. Welcome back here in the garden with Ron Wilson. And as I promised uh, to talk a little bit about this weather, of course, is our hobby meteorologist, the man, the myth, the legend, and, of course, certified arborist, Mr. Ron Rothus. His uh, website is arbordoctor.com forward slash weather if you want weather or just arbordoctor.com for tree information. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Ron, but I have to take issue with you this morning. Okay. You uh, misquoted me. What did I say? 
you uh you said that I had uh, said that the drought was there was no drought in the United States. No, 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 that's not what I said. Yes, it is. I said in min- in <laughs> some parts, the, the, looking across the United I, States. W- w- what it was, and I'm I'm being a little bit silly, <laughs> but um, what it was was there, there are several categories of drought. Right. And in the exceptional drought category, which has been pretty widespread in parts of California as well as the southeast United States, that disappeared from the map for the first time in a couple of years, a couple of weeks ago, and it's still gone. So, you know, we, we've wiped out exceptional drought. We still have extreme drought and severe drought in parts of, uh, it's actually an interesting arc. It, it, it goes from a uh, the Black Hills of South Dakota, eastern Colorado, down to Oklahoma, and the southeast United States, North Georgia, and Alabama. There's even a little bit in Florida. Areas. I'm sorry? It looks to me like I'm looking at the map right now, even a little bit right down in Florida. Yeah, a little bit of drought in Florida. Um, even some in Alaska. Up in New England. Uh, Alaska is just, uh, if you look at the color code, is moderate drought. Yeah. But, um, and, and you'll see some drought still in Southern California and even some extreme drought. The interesting thing about the drought in California, uh, and notable, is that um, this map is put out every week, early in the week. And one of the biggest storms in recent decades, really, uh, went across the California coast yesterday and has been causing severe flooding and mudslides and and, and just severe impacts over large parts of the southern half of California, uh, kind of a bullseye right on that little red area that says extreme drought. So that's going to be uh, changing in the past week, probably rather significantly. Hmm. But 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 overall, we have to admit, over the last year or so, even last uh, few months, this drought monitor has really changed. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's not nearly as much drought on there now as there was you know, just a couple months ago. Right. And and I've seen some comparisons where they, you know, show, you know, a year ago versus now and six months ago versus now, and it's really disappeared. And when you look at the outlooks, a lot of the areas that are still, um, and I have the, the seasonal drought outlook on my website on the weather page too, um, I'd say majority of the areas that, that um, have drought right now, they're expecting to improve or even for the drought status to be removed over the next uh over the next uh, few months. Hmm. The, the exception, unfortunately, for um, Betty, who's on your um, garden party, is southern Florida, which they say is drought looks like it's going to continue down there in far south Texas. Yeah, you know, it's, it, it, it always amazes me when I look at this map. Excuse me. <sighs> when I look at this map, house, you know, the California being so dry, and then you look over the west, the east coast, and they're just as dry, not drier, on the East Coast as well. I mean, I just, especially the East Coast, I just don't think about them being in a situation like that with all the winter snow and all. But obviously, it hasn't happened, so that's why they are as they are. And again, this map is made early in the week, right? And parts of New England, especially New Hampshire and Maine, have gotten a couple feet of snow since this drought map was put together. So I think you're going to see at least some of that drought in New England being. Uh, chipped away at too. And what's the and equivalent? Of- we, we forget. I mean, Cincinnati hasn't had much of a winter this year, but California has has just the winter out there has been just epic. 
in New England, up in parts of New England, they've gotten some really heavy snows. And east of uh, Lake Ontario has gotten huge amounts of snow. And part of that is because with the warmer winter, the lakes haven't frozen. Mm-hmm. And so the lake effect has kept going all winter, whereas it normally kind of shuts off once the lakes are frozen over. Interesting. Ron Roth is our special guest this morning, of course, our uh, uh, certified arborist and hobby meteorologist, talking first of all about the weather and uh, and how it looks across the country. Um, what about us, Ron? I mean, right now in our area, we've uh, been experiencing some extremely warm days uh, here in February, kind of unusual. Did I hear last night somebody said, was it like 1976 we had quite a, a few uh, days in a row of 60-degree weather? 50, I mean, it's sure not like it that. hasn't it hasn't I happened. Have to look back in the uh, records. The, the benchmark year that I always remember, because my 25th wedding anniversary comes up at the end of this month. I was actually married on leap year, the 29th of February, 1992. So but you've only been year, married. You've only been married a, a fourth of the actual years. Right, right. I yeah. try to get away with that with not buying uh, anniversary <laughs> gifts, but doesn't you try work, to get away does with it? that once and you learn that that's not a real good idea. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. But uh, the, the year we got married, we went on a honeymoon up to northeast Ohio in the Amish country, Charm Country View Inn was uh, where we went. Mm-hmm. And um, it hit 78 degrees three days that week, the first week of March. And by the time I got back to work, I was working for a landscape company at the time. Uh, the trees were all budding out. Uh, you know, Japanese maples got a couple inches of new growth. I mean, it was basically like mid-spring conditions in the, in the first week or so of March. And a week or two later... Uh, cold wave came in. They had a blizzard up there in Amish, Amish country. The temperature dropped into the teens in Cincinnati. We had some of the worst freeze damage I think that I've ever seen that year, and that was 1992. Mm-hmm. So I always kind of use that as a benchmark year. You know, it can warm up that fast as it did in 92, but then when you warm up that fast, you're kind of setting yourself up for problems. Sure, and I, you know, I I go to the growing degree days, and that that chart that Ohio State has put together. Has, is really nice. It makes it convenient because uh, you just put in your little zip code there, and it tells you how many growing degree days you are at. And if I'm not mistaken, if I, when I put that in the other day, we were at 52. Yeah, and and you got to be a little careful with that map. And, and I've discussed this with Dan, Holmes, Dr. Dan Holmes from Ohio State, but mm-hmm. they only have about six weather stations around the state of Ohio that they use for that for that. Uh, website right and so the closest one to cincinnati is actually over near piketon ohio which is halfway between columbus and portsmouth so it's not really totally representative uh, i actually do my own calculations based on the the airport over you know cvg northern right. kentucky right and, and 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 according to my calculations we're up around 90 already uh but but yeah the website's showing about 52 so either way i mean it's we're up there. Well, when I look and, uh, back at 2016, which you can, you know, you can also do that on that chart, and I, I realize it's going to vary. Um, I think this time last year we were only at uh, 20. Yeah, and in some years we don't hardly have any this time of the year. Um, I, I we we, count, we accumulated a few growing degree days this year, several uh, back in early January, just because we had a warm spell then. So. You know, it's been one of those winters that makes me worry a little bit because I'm not sure how dormant some of the trees got, and, and dormancy is kind of important in the life cycles. Uh, but um, can't do anything about it, so we'll see no. what happens. But I think we've set ourselves up for some problems. 
So I guess that you know that was going to be my next question for you. We're going to take a break here, and come back with Ron Rothis, our certified arborist, and of course hobby meteorologist, and uh, kind of take a look. I want to pick your brain first of all, Ron. Where do you you see as far as because uh, this is what really got me worried now is what do you see over the next two or three or four weeks? Can you tell? What's going to be moving through as far as uh, trends there? I also want to talk to you quickly, if we can, when we come back. Uh, still about these plant growth regulators. I've got more and more people asking about these because they're showing up more and more in articles and all. We'll talk with them more about that as well. And, of course, when we come back, uh, when we're finished up there, we'll be opening up the phones here in the garden with Ron Wilson. Landscaping made easier with your personal yard boy. He's in the garden, and he's Ron Wilson. Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Again, 800-823-8255. Talking with uh, Ron Rothis, the uh, certified arborist, hobby meteorologist. Talking about the weather and all. So let me ask you, Ron, you know, obviously nothing we can do about this, but I guess my big thing, and I'm concerned mostly about right now for the uh, fruit growers and and berry producers, uh, because this can be very bad for their fruit production. Can you give us any kind of an outlook over the next two or three weeks? What do you think? Well, and you remember back in the in the fall when we were talking about the winter forecast, and I know you posted some things on your website, some some Farmers Almanac and various other people were saying we we're going to have an epic cold and stormy and snowy winter and all sorts of things. And uh, for for many parts of the East and Midwest, that really hasn't happened. Uh, and certainly, I don't think anybody, including myself, didn't see um, you know what's happening in California coming this year. So it's been kind of a hard to predict winter. In, in many areas, uh, what's, what what looks like coming is a continuation of winter in the western United States. I mean, just uh, you know, really cold uh, winter conditions. Looks like some of that's going to move eastward some, and it looks like the the Midwest, Upper Midwest, possibly the Great Lakes, and possibly the Ohio Valley. We're going to be close. Could get in on some more cold in in, in March. Although it's going to be March. I mean, we're in a two week. A spell of very, very warm temperatures in the east, and it's not going to cool off. So I'm afraid we're going to get a lot of leaf out and a lot of advancement of uh, trees and shrubs and, and perennials and plant materials going to be acting like it's full spring going into March, and then the potential for colds going to be there. There's some serious questions as to whether any of this cold is going to make it to the east coast, you know, past the Appalachian Mountains, and, and it very well may not. So, um, but, uh, for the Ohio Valley and parts of the Midwest, I think we probably still have some cold coming in March. Whether it's going to be, you know, brutal cold or just, you know, some cold shots, which is cold for a few days, I think that the latter is probably most likely. Mm-hmm. We get maybe a few days to a week where it's cold, but that's enough if everything's leafed out to be a problem. Sure. it's uh, And again, as we've said all along, and you said it as well, there's nothing we can do about it besides sit back and 
watch and wait. I mean, it's not, you know, Mother Nature doesn't wipe everything out. We aren't going to lose everything. It's just that you'll lose some flower buds. You're going to lose, you could lose some leaf growth, some tip die back. Uh, plants that are really tender could cause even more damage than that. And, of course, the fruits and berries and that could be a an issue as well. But nothing we can do but sit back and and watch and keep our fingers crossed, I guess, at this stage. Yeah, his, his story, and the other thing you have to remember, some plants as are, you know, a lot of our native plants, they're, they have to be adapted to it because we, we've had it in the past. But we mm-hmm. do have some introduced plants. You know, Japanese maples can be extremely sensitive to late freezes because they are native to an island in a maritime climate where you don't get uh, it's extreme. It's the only plant I protect in the springtime when, it, you know, we get a drop in temperatures. That's the only one I worry about. Yeah. And I remember back in 92 when we had that early leaf out and, landscape company i work for just planted some japanese tree lilacs along the street um uh, in the west side of cincinnati and uh those had leafed out all the way because they leaf out early and i remember the bark splitting and literally blowing off the the, the trunks of those trees hmm. uh, i mean it looked like someone put a firecracker under the bark and just blew it up i mean it was some of the worst freeze damage i think i've seen on a tree but of course those trees suffer a little bit of transplant shock too but uh, yeah, it can cause a lot of damage. Did they recover from that? Far. What's that? Do you remember? Do they re- did they recover? Those didn't. No. No. Hmm. Shame. I mean, they were they were destroyed. Before least, I before I ask you about the uh, the growth retardants again, because I, I this came up again with me, and I just we talked about it last time we were together. I'm just curious. Do you have your daughter out today doing that bre- backyard bird count? Um, haven't really thought about that yet. I know I don't know a lot about birds. I mean, obviously, I know that you know we, we try to be very sensitive to wildlife and things like that. But I'm not a bird expert. I mean, mm-hmm. I know robins and cardinals and blue jays, and you get me too much past that. And well, there's three. There's three thing. you could report on right there. Yeah, we could do that. <laughs> and we actually saw many years ago. We were going out to one of the county parks, and my daughter was into bald eagles at the time, and I'd never seen one in the wild. She asked me if I was gonna, we were going to see any bald eagles at Miami Whitewater. I said no, because I'd never seen one before. We get out there. And, and there they are. The tree, there was a bald eagle. <laughs> so. Yeah, you never know what you're going to see. Well, anyway, if you're interested, it's the gbbc.birdcount.org. It's going on right now through the 20th, and everybody they want everybody to help, even if you just do it one day. For 20 minutes, even if you're like Ron Rothis and you're not a bird aficionado, doesn't matter. You go to their website. They'll give you a chart showing you the birds that you probably will see in your backyard. And then you can sit out there and look for them. And, uh, of course, then, Ron, you would know more about them if you did this. So you still have today, tomorrow, and Monday to get that daughter out there and uh, check out the birds. So, again, it's gbbc.birdcount.org. So you, I know you use growth regulators on trees. Yes. And very successful with that. Yes, I am. I'm a I'm a big uh, I'm a big uh, advocate for that. But what about around the, the the shrubbery and the 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 hedges, the boxwood and the viburnums and things like that? Have you gotten involved doing it there too? I have not done as much of that, but there are shrub growth regulators. It's actually a, a different. It's it's kind of the same active ingredient, I think, but it's it's formulated differently. It's much you know, less uh, potent material, and it has to be, depending on the type of shrub, it has to be applied topically a little bit more often. But um, I know that they're out there, and I know that, you know, they work pretty well. The majority of the growth regulators that I've done 
have been on trees. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the shrub growth regulators, I know they're used a lot on golf courses and various places where people just don't want to want to prune as often. Right. And, and the benefits are basically the same. I mean, it, you know, the plants, we don't feed plants. We, plants feed themselves through photosynthesis. Right. So when they're not putting as much of the products of photosynthesis into growth, they put them into storage. They put it into fine root development. And so it actually helps the health of a plant. And I will use growth regulators a lot of times interchangeably with um, with um, fertilization. You know, if, the, if there's no obvious nutrient deficiency, uh, my philosophy is that the growth regulator in, in a lot of urban areas, especially where, where trees have limited space, is, is probably a better way to go. And, and we just came back from the Ohio Tree Care Conference a couple of weeks ago, and I got to talk about this with one of the top uh, arborists in the in the world, really. Um, and and you know he agreed with my philosophy, and and we, we kind of talked about the pros and cons, and it was mostly pros. You talking to yourself so, in the mirror again? Uh, no. <laughs> you know my, my my philosophy over the years has been to to hang around with people that were really smart and a lot smarter than I am and try to soak up some of their some of their wisdom and intelligence and that, that's why and you and I sit next to each other at all these seminars that's why I stay as close to you as I can <laughs> yeah, right. buggy Joe like know, I, I said complete, I can complete some of buggy Joe's sentences and bad jokes at this point so. I know you I think you and I've kind of gotten a hold of all those as a matter of fact we come back from our break uh, we I ask him about the, the warm weather and bugs because I get a lot of emails about that, and we'll, we'll talk. Well, I, I have a quote from Buggy Joe that I'm going to read after the break. Hey, Ron, always a pleasure having you on. Great information. <clears throat> really appreciate it. If folks want to learn more, you can go to his website. It's arbordoctor.com, arbor uh, and uh, learn, can they learn more about the growth regulators on there, too? Yeah, we do have a yeah. section on the growth regulators, a lot of information on that. So Yeah, so go to his website again, arbordoctor.com, or forward slash weather while you're there, and check out the weather as well. Always a pleasure. Grab that daughter when she gets up, give her a nice breakfast, and then take her outside and count some birds. Uh, we'll have to do that on, on the Yard Boys advice. There you go. Always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Enjoy right. the springtime weather. All right. Thanks, Ron. <laughs> Good talking to you. And again, that is the great bird, uh, backyard bird counts going on right now. And this is a serious thing. They do this across the, around the entire world. Um, as Richard Cole from Cole's Wild Bird told us last uh, couple weeks ago, 160,000 people worldwide participated. They need more. It's a census to find out all the bird species and numbers that you're finding in your own backyard. Then they compare them from years past to see what's going on out there. It's really easy to do. You don't have to be a bird aficionado to figure it out. Go to their website. They give you a chart to follow along. It's really easy to do. 15 minutes. That's all they're asking. 15 minutes. You can do it longer. You can do it once. You can do it every day, whatever. But it really is important uh, for scientific research from all around the world. So please, if you've got 15, 20 minutes today, tomorrow, Monday to help out, they really could use your help. The website gbbc.birdcount.org. This is on our website at ronwilsononline.com. So just go there. You'll see at the very top, click on it, go to it, learn more about it, and do it. Great yard, backyard bird count here in the garden with Ron Wilson. Got gardening questions? Ron has the answers at 1-800-823-TALK. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson.
800-823-8255. That is our number. I am Ron Wilson, your personal yard boy, talking about yardening on this uh, right in the middle of February. Gone. Next weekend, you know, out of here. Last week, the full regular weekend in February, and then out of here. We're into March, and uh, spring has sprung. Or has it sprung already? Boy, it sure has for us. Unbelievable. The warm temperatures that we have had and watching plants just come right along. Fortunately, I've been watching the soil temperatures. Now, are you watching your soil temperatures? If you're not, you should be. If you're a vegetable gardener, uh, always want to know when to put the pre-emergent herbicides down, things like that. Not only do we watch the air temps, but we're also watching the soil temps. Very, very important. And checking my soil thermometer on Thursday, in our area, we were right about 39 degrees. So we're still pretty cool in the soil. Warmer temperatures above, and we're supposed to have some nighttime Warmer nighttime temperatures over the next several days, that really starts to bring the soil temperatures up. When nighttime temperatures start to warm, that's when things really start to go. That's the key, that's one of the keys when you want to see things really warm up. So have that soil thermometer, 10 bucks, 15 bucks. Check this. It's all it costs you. And uh, you can check that. And then that way, like if you're getting ready to plant those radishes or onions or whatever it may be, typically it's about 45 degrees that you want to get started or you can get started. And you want to get to that. And it's 55 degrees um, for weed seeds to start germinating. So that, that soil thermometer can really um, help you out, especially when in this situation like now, where we're getting this early warm temperatures, you're just not sure what to do. And I understand that. Um, I've just been telling folks, nothing we can do about it, first of all. Sit back and relax. Remind yourself that we are still in the middle of February. Got a long ways to go. Nothing you can do about whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Don't worry about protecting things at this stage. Don't worry about the bulbs and things like that. They're going to be fine. If we lose things, we're going to lose flowers. We're going to lose some tips, maybe some leaves here and there, as Ron and I were talking earlier. But nothing you can do, again, about that at this stage. So you just kind of hang in there. But you can be taking advantage of these warmer days and edging beds and fluffing mulch and doing some light pruning and branch removal and cleanup and debris and still have some leaves laying around. You can get rid of those and, and getting tired of the ornamental grasses. Now's a good time to get those cut back and they're cleaned up. Um, you know, if you do some light mulching, you can do that at this t- stage in the game. If you planted trees last year and they have stakes on them, they're staked or wired to hold them in place, you know, don't leave that on for more than a year. Don't leave it on more than a year. And at this t- stage in the game, check to make sure everything's nice and stable. It hasn't come loose over the winter time. Make sure that's good and stable and they're not rubbing up against the tree trunk. Uh, if you planted new evergreens last year or in the fall, you know, you've heard me say, I will, you know, get a day above freezing in January and February and it's been a dry winter. I'll carry a five-gallon bucket out and water those those trees, those uh, evergreens. Well, this is perfect weather for you to do that. As a matter of fact, being as warm as it is, you could put the hose on the outside spigot and take it out and water those new, uh, newly planted evergreens. Really need the moisture in the ground, so that's something you could take care of as well. Also, I have had some people say, can I mow the grass? <laughs> if you want, go ahead. As long as it's, the soil's dry enough, you can go over the top, but knocking some of that brown stuff off, sure. If you want to do that, and I have seen a couple do that already, that's kind of pushing it, but you never know. How about tilling the garden? Can I do that now? Typically, our soil's not dried out enough at this stage to be able to do that, but guess what? It is. So if you wanted to add a little bit of compost or manure or something and do some light tilling, you could get that done right now, too. So there's projects like that that you can get done, take advantage of the warmer weather. 
um, that we are having the ins and outs there and and get some things done before we get into the spring season, no doubt about it. One last thing, and I'm going to tell you what uh, we're going to talk about what Buggy Joe said about the bugs with the weather like this. If you are overwintering, oh, and we were talking about watering uh, containers, above-ground containers that have plants in them that are hardy plants, water those. They probably don't have any moisture in them right now. Water those as well. Very important. But if you're overwintering containers that have plants that come back year after year, and you've had those in a garage, unheated garage, unheated shed, something like that, check and make sure they're staying cold. Because you get a 60-degree day in a garage, unheated garage, it'll be 70. And that's not what you want. You may have to drag things out to keep them outside, to keep them as cold as possible. Find the coldest place to keep them from breaking. Once they start to break, you know, you got these plants that are coming along, which you don't want to happen. So if you're overwintering containerized plants that are, uh, you're trying to keep them dormant, make sure we get these warmer days that you're opening the garage door, you're opening the shed doors, the windows, whatever it may be, to vent. You look around our nursery right now with all these hoop houses that are all covered over. The ends are open right now. The sides are rolled up. We're doing everything we can to let the cool air in there to keep them dormant. We don't want those popping along. And even in those hoop houses with no heat there, they heat up in a flash. So make sure you're venting and keeping things as cool as possible uh, when we go through these warmer periods. Now, I get a lot of folks that will say, you know, what about the bugs? Is this a good thing? Warm up and it gets cold, takes care of the bugs and all that kind of stuff. Well, we always go to Joe Boggs every year and, and kind of give his take on this. And he hates it because it says, you know, it's like predicting the fall color. You just never can predict what's going to happen. And there, But he goes into the explanation saying, not told him I was just basically going to read this. The reason it's so hard to predict how a warm winter will affect insect survival is because it all depends on where the insect originally evolved, which has an impact on how it spends the winter. The how involves whether or not the overwintering stage has protection such as an antifreeze and or diapause. As you know, some insects are capable of producing chemicals that serve as an antifreeze by keeping sharp ice crystals from destroying soft tissue. Obviously, an insect that lacks this protection during the winter could have a difficult time if the temps get below thresholds that could cause tissue destruction. But this depends on the insect species. An alternate strategy is to find a protected spot where they can stay where the temperature stay moderate, and then they survive over the winter. You've also got the problem with insects that are being cold-blooded, meaning their metabolism is tied into the environmental temperatures. Some insects prepare for the winter by accumulating fat in the fall, then living off the fat through the winter. A warm winter may mean that they can literally starve to death because they're not feeding, and high temperatures increase their metabolism, causing them to consume their fat reserves. However... White grubs, like Japanese beetles, spend the winter deep enough in the soil where they may benefit from the constant winter temperatures. All right? Some insects dodge the metabolism bullet by going into diapause. It's a physiological state that's much deeper than hibernation. The insect's metabolism slows way down regardless of the temperature and doesn't return to normal until the insect experiences certain environmental cues that cause it to come out of diapause. The cue may be inside the insect, such as the accumulation of carbon dioxide, like a time clock, or outside, like day length. If the insect combines diapause with producing antifreeze and or finding a protected spot, it's likely uh, it really increases the insect's success rate with handling winters one way or the other, whether they're cold or warm. And finally, Joe Boggs says, there are some insects that have occasionally taken advantage of, of climate change to come north. 
They, they didn't evolve in the north, and we've seen that as temperatures have warmed a little bit over the winter. Good example is the golden rain, bug tree, golden rain tree bug, which is found in the south, began, began to appear in our state, in Ohio, uh, several years ago. However, some intense winters a couple years ago, remember, we all remember that, was had temperatures like zone four, wiped them out totally. So they weren't geared for us, and they had not evolved that way, and so the harsh winter took them out totally. His point being is it's really hard to call. It depends on the type of insect. Uh, it, 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 it probably won't have, it'll have little or no effect probably on anything that's out there right now, uh, bottom line. And, uh, again, they have adjusted themselves to handle this type of uh, weather. Um, that's why they live here. I had to chuckle when I thought back when we had Marnie Titchnell on our show Oh, Marnie was on about four or five weeks ago talking about what wildlife critters do over the winter time, as you know, some hibernate, some do this and that, and we were talking about the particular frogs or toad uh, that actually freezes over the winter. They actually flatten out and freeze, and you can find them frozen in the winter time, laying under a bunch of leaves, and then when the springtime comes along, they thaw back out and they fire back up and start living again. And she said in the springtime, it can be a little difficult because they may thaw out one day and refreeze the next. You imagine what those guys are going through right now? Wake up one day and you're alive. You wake up, don't wake up the next day because you're frozen. They're in and out. I started laughing saying, oh, those guys are having a real tough time with the weather we're seeing right now. But bottom line is this. Nothing you can do about it. Stick with it. Think about things that you can get done while the weather is good that uh, you know that, that you can get done. It won't affect uh, new growth or anything like that. Lots of things out there for you. Get your planning done. Get your garden catalogs and your seeds ordered. Get your timing right when you're going to be uh, planting those seeds. And just keep reminding yourself that it is the middle of February. And we got a long way to go yet. And we'll just kind of ride with it. And we'll keep watching it. And we'll see what happens. And we'll take it from there. One last, One last thing. And then we'll take a break. We'll come back. And, of course, phone lines are open at 800-823-8255. Spraying dormant oil. 45-degree days, sunny days. That, those are the best best uh, um, temps to have for spray or, or higher for spraying dormant oil while the plants are still dormant. Can you do that now? Absolutely. Um, sometimes treating this early in the season is a little bit early for control of things you may be trying to control that don't really do anything for another month or so, but um, you could do that this early in the season. And uh, I know a lot of fruit growers in that are probably going to take the chance and go ahead and spray earlier because they can't take the risk of those plants possibly budding out early and not being able to do the dormant oil spray. If you have peach trees that have had peach leaf curl issues, the only way to get that under control is peach leaf for peach leaf curl is spraying with a fungicide when the peach tree is dormant. You can do it in late fall and you can do it in the spring or late winter uh, while it's still dormant. You do it any other time, this fungicide will not control peach leaf curl. If you've had that issue, that's something you want to make sure you get your dormant oil on. Could do that now or in another two or three weeks. Uh, but you have to get that on before the plants start to bud out. So, again, you're going to just be watching the plants and trying to react as best you can as we go through this very unusual uh, February, and maybe March will be the same way. Who knows? Quick break. We come back. Uh, we'll jump back into the gardening phone lines, 800-823-8255, here in the garden with Ron Wilson. 
Have gardening questions? Ron has all the answers at 1-800-823-TALK. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Again, that toll-free number, 800-823-8255. You doing a backyard bird count? I hope so. If not, go to their website. Get yourself doing it. Get the kids involved. You still got time. It's going on through Monday. It's a, go to our website, ronwilsononline.com. We've got it right there at the top for you to click on. It's gbbc.birdcount.org. Everybody, not everybody, we're getting there, trying to get everybody across the entire world to do this bird count. Very, very important for science, scientific research, and you can be a part of it. Go to our website, ronwilsononline.com. Don't forget, we also have our garden chat line going on at face on Facebook. It's at In the Garden with Ron Wilson. That's our Facebook page, and that's where our live chat is going on right now. In the Garden with Ron Wilson Facebook page. You can go there. Other gardeners are chatting. We've moved that from our website to the Facebook page. Uh, we've lost a few people now trying to remind everybody where this thing is, uh, the new location, but it's on our Facebook page in the garden with Ron Wilson. Um, and that would be the Facebook garden chat live, uh, during our show. So be sure and check that out as well. All right. Back to the gardening phone lines. We shall go Jerry and Dayton. Good morning. Jerry you there. Yes, I am Ron. Good. My intention was to, uh, plant, uh, grass seed. In a new uh, bed, um, got the bed all prepared. Will the warm weather prevent me from doing that, or should I go ahead? No, I'd go right ahead. I guess so you got it all scratched and leveled out and ready to go? Yes. Yeah, I'd go ahead and see it. As a matter of fact, this is typically mid to late February is when I usually say it's the best time for dormant seeding because you get a lot of good freezing and thawing. Nighttime it freezes, daytime it thaws back out again. It looks like over the next several days, the the nighttime temperatures aren't going to get quite that cold, but then we'll get back into it again. So, you know, the freezing and thawing is what works that seed into the soil for you. So it's just a natural way to get it down into the ground. But uh, absolutely, this would be a great day to clear off any debris and bare areas or get a, a, a grass area prepped and go out and do some overseeding. If you want to lightly rake it after you're done putting it down, you can. You don't have to. Uh, you can do that. But Mother Nature will help work it down into the soil for you. Um, you don't usually have to use straw or anything like that this time of the year. Somebody don't, asked don't, me. Go ahead. Don't ha- I don't have to cover it with dirt after I put seed down. Only if you want to lightly rake it a little bit, if you want to help it out a bit. But that's what the freezing and thawing is all about as far as working it into the soil for you. But if you do want to help it out just a tad, that's okay. Go ahead okay. and do that. Um, and, again, if somebody asked this week, what about the patch kits where they've got, like, the insulation you put it down, you water it, it turns a green color. and kind of, Yeah, you can do that as well this time of the year. But I think uh, mid to late February, excellent time for dormant seeding. 
Thank you, Ron. All right, Jerry, good talking to you. I think the thing that folks need to remember when you are um, dormant seeding or anytime you're seeding, seed soil contact is the key. You must rake out the debris so the seeds land in the soil or touch the soil. If you don't have good seed soil contact, you aren't going to get good germination. So you've got to do that, all right? And um, uh, you've got some bare areas out there or thin areas, and you say, I'm going to throw a little seed down uh, yet this winter. That's okay, but I'd take a, a leaf rake or something out there and make sure you rake so you open up the areas, you get that debris out of there so that when you put the seed down, that it does touch the soil. If it doesn't touch the soil, it doesn't germinate. You lost everything. So if you have thatch there, you have dead material there, and it doesn't make it into the soil, it won't work. You know, the other thing about with the way the temperatures are with in our area right now and the soil being with the soil moisture level that it's at right now, you could actually slice or slit seed if you wanted to in some areas like that. Uh, I like to have, usually have the uh, grass a little bit, you know, actively grown, but you could do that as well if you wanted to. But the best thing to do is just to rake that stuff out of the way, get open soil, good seed soil contact, and that's what you're looking for. And when you're putting seed down, Get seed that's compatible with the type of grass or the same seed with the same type of grass that's in your yard, or you wind up with these different colored patches throughout the yard. If you don't know what it is, the grass that you have, and you haven't seeded for a while, maybe take a square, a 12-inch square to your local garden center, let somebody look at it, and hopefully they can try to diagnose what the type of grasses are that you have there. If you haven't seeded over the last 20 years or so, it probably, if you're in a cool season area, probably a bluegrass perennial rye uh, mix. If it's been more recent than that, you may have gotten involved with the turf type tall fescues, which are my favorite. I highly recommend. I like a blend, although you can do single stands if you want. Uh, but try to make sure you get the same seed to match or compatible with your existing lawn. And when you do throw seed down, not only do those bare areas, Throw a little bit back into the existing lawn as well to try to feather that back into the grass for you as well. All right. Quick break. We come back. We'll jump right back into the garden. Phone lines at 800-823-8255 here in the garden with Ron Wilson. How is your garden growing? Call Ron now at 1-800-823-TALK. You're listening to In the Garden with Ron Wilson. It's the last call if you look to look in. Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Again, that toll-free number, 800-823-8255. Forgot to uh, bring up today, uh, we mentioned the first hour, and I forgot all about it the rest of the show, our plan of the week. You know, we pick a plan of the week every week, and if you go to our website at ronwilsononline.com, you can scroll back each week and see what the plants were. But here's one of my favorites that, you know, we started talking about this one probably three or four years ago, right around this time, and 
It's amazing how many folks don't know what it is and bought one or planted one and really, really loving them. It's a dogwood, but it's not like your other dogwoods that you're used to seeing out there. It's one of the first plants to, to flower in the springtime. As a matter of fact, I'm looking for them to start flowering anytime. Uh, it's yellow. It looks like a forsythia, but it's in a more of a multi-stemmed tree form uh, or a large, large shrub. It's called cornus moss, or commonly known as Cornelian cherry dogwood. Again, multi-stem, small, uh, small tree or shrub, kind of rounded shape. Yellow clusters of flowers, usually in March, weather pending, uh, and they last about two to three weeks. Very, very nice show. Showy, edible, red, cherry-like berries in the in September. Yep, you can eat them, but the birds usually take care of it for you. Nice fall uh, show, a little bit of fall color. No serious insects or disease issues. You can use it as a hedge, a screen, ornamental tree. Tolerate sun or part shade, but sun, like most, a lot of dogwoods wouldn't like that. This one will do that for you. Hardy through zone four. You'll see it through zone four through uh, eight, I believe. Uh, it grows anywhere 15 to 20, 25 feet high, about 15, 20 feet wide. Probably one of the easiest dogwoods that you can grow. And one of the first ones to flower, and it's yellow, and the fruit is spectacular. It's called Cornelian Cherry Dogwood, Cornus Moss. Check it out. If you don't have one in your landscape, you probably should. But you can see uh, and read more about it on our website at ronwilsononline.com. To Kentucky we go. Steve, good morning. Steve, are you with us? Yes. There you are. How are you doing today? Good, and yourself? Good. I have a question on uh, fruit trees. I had peach trees last year, and uh, the fruit looked good in the spring, and as the summer went along, they started shriveling up, turning brown, looking like they were mummified. Um, My first guess is going to be what's called brown rot. Okay. Uh, um, It's pretty common on peaches. Did the leaves all look good during the season? Yeah, the leaves look good. Uh, well, they're yeah, <clears throat> yeah, the leaves look good. Yeah, I would have to say they they went they went that bad. Okay, brown rot's brown rot's really common, and the other thing is peach leaf curl. Peach leaf curl really affects the you'll see it on the leaves that they'll curl and get kind of distorted uh, all okay. throughout the plant, and that'll also affect the fruit. But uh, but brown rot's probably one of the most common things. And again, controlling brown rot, two things. One is you get in there and you collect up any of the peaches that fell to the ground and get rid of them. Get them out from underneath. The, okay, so you got you start off clean. The other thing is, I'm assuming you prune your peaches every year, keep them open, yes. good airflow and sun, so that's good. And last last summer when it was really bad, I ended up I pruned it back really good and got rid of all the the stuff that was uh, any anything that had the mold on it. I threw cut it off. Okay, and so you've done and, all that. And, now what you need to do is start out with. A, do you do any spraying at all? I don't normally. I try to do everything organically, but I want to. I want to have some peaches, so I thought I better do something. I think well, you're gonna. It's the it's the disease that's usually the major issue with most of the fruits. I mean, some of the the insects we can live with, but it's the diseases that really take them out. So the fungicidal sprayings are very very important, and you'll start those fungicidal sprayings now for the peach leaf curl. You have to actually do that while it's dormant, but for the right. other diseases, you would start at bud break, through flowering after it's done fruit set, and carry that right into the middle of the summer. And um, fungicide-wise, uh, I think that uh, Funganil probably lists that. I think Mancozeb may list that. Make sure you look on the label to make sure. If you're wanting to stay all organic, you know, you can well, look at, at the at the sulfur. 
and you can look at the copper. And I'd have to look again at the label to make sure they control brown rot, but there are organic uh, fungicides that can be used out there if you're looking to stay that route. Now, we have bees also. Would any of this affect bees? Well, fungicides aren't an issue with bees like the insecticides can be, obviously. Okay. But I would still look to spray um, when they're not in flower. So you would spray just before the petals open, those flowers open, let them, you know, do their thing. When they start to break and fall apart, the bees are finished. Now you come back in and pick up, pack up your spray again. So you just kind of skip while they're in flower. So you so got a the, you got a shot before I, they flower and a shot after they flower, and then carried on from there. So do I do anything now while they're dormant? No. Uh, you know, if you wanted to use, if you wanted to do a dormant spray with a fungicide, uh, with any of those that we talked about earlier, you can. Um, you can use a dormant oil. Uh, that that does work. Usually, that's th- those go more after the in- insects. And like I say, the the peach tree leaf, the leaf curl, that's one of the only ones I know of that you have to do it when they're dormant. Otherwise, it's while they're in the growing spell, or your bud breaking and all through the growing uh, as well. Um, okay. And if you, e- I got a couple uh, tip sheets that I've just taken from some of the extension offices. If you email me, uh, I'll send you back the link to a couple of those, and uh, it really helps to walk you through it. Okay. What's your email? Uh, just it's it's uh, Ron Wilson at iHeartMedia.com. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right, Steve. Good talking to you. And again, if you're looking to do dormant oil spraying, and a lot of fruit growers will do that more for an insect control, but you can do that. Lime sulfur has been done, although uh, you don't see lime sulfur out there as much as a dormant spray as well. Uh, so it can be done, but for most part, these fungicidal sprayings are starting right at bud break, green as the buds are breaking. Right up to the to the flowers are starting to open, and you can just stop at that stage, protect the bees when the, they're done, come back and start your spraying after that, um, and it does a nice job. But again, very timely. And I think most of the fruit growers will tell you it's the diseases that are more of an issue than it is the insects, and getting on that early and protecting them against the diseases um, are really really important. And the cleanup that's really important as well. Cultural practices too. Nancy in Kentucky. Good morning. Hello. Hi, how are you this morning? I'm good, thank you. I know you've been asked this question a hundred more times, but it's a funny winter. Is it too early to trim, like, spirea and burning bushes? And I, I probably should wait on roses. I, I, you know, here's the thing about all those. You know, can you do it now? You can. If it stayed warm and you've pruned them back, sometimes pruning can stimulate new growth. Uh, I'm doing some cleanup out there. I'm doing whole branch removal. I'll clean up things that I know are dead, uh, dead branches and things like that. Um, I, but otherwise, as far as really severe cutbacks, I'm holding off just a little bit longer, uh, get a little bit closer just so I can see what the weather's going to be and then go at it at that point. The spirea, uh, are they the summer blooming varieties? They're the, uh, yeah, the, yes, they are. So you want to prune those in the spring because they flower on new growth. Right. Uh, the roses, you know, you can do it while they're still dormant, or you just wait until they're uh, just popping out popping sometime out. late March, yeah. early April, and clean them up at that point, which which works nicely. Um, and what else was on that list? Uh, well, abelia, that would be later, wouldn't it, after they bloom, like in late fall? Yeah, well, they'll give you a flush. You'll get some early on. They flower off and on all summer. Okay. So, you know, you kind of uh, do what you need to do if you want to get a little flush in the spring or... Just don't worry about that spring flush. Do what you need to do in the spring. As a new growth comes out, then you'll start to get you'll get color off and on through okay. the summer as well. Uh, and-
And is it too early to put pre-emergence down, like dementia? No. Um, the thing about dementia, it does last, you know, uh, three to three four months. months. Yeah. So it'll last a while for you. Just remember when it's going to poop out. The one thing about cooler weather, if you put it down too early, is that kind of slows it down a little bit. It doesn't break down quite as quickly. Okay. So you have that advantage. So can you do it now? You can. I'm going to wait it out another week or two and okay. see what the weather looks so like. The- oh, i got to take a break. I apologize. Hard break here. I'll, I'll talk about that more when we come back to the break. Here in the Garden with Ron Wilson. Landscaping made easier with your personal yard boy. He's in the garden, and he's Ron Wilson. Welcome back here in the garden with Ron Wilson. And before we do a little bit of home improvement, I just want to follow up on the uh, pre-emergent herbicide. Because I know Gary Sullivan wants to know this answer as well. Is it too early to put it down? We've got this warm weather. Or the weed seed's going to start to germinate. Should I be worried? Here's the thing to remember. First of all, can you put it down this early? You can. And actually cold weather can, it actually slows down how quickly it breaks down. So it may actually even last a little bit longer for you. And the microorganisms in the soil that usually eat it up and break it down, they're not as active this time of the year. So it actually can extend the length a little bit. And you get some snow and rain, it helps to water it in, whole nine yards. But the question is, what is the soil temperature and the air temperature? Because remember, it has to be 55 degrees, both of them consistently before weed seeds really start to think about germinating. Right now in our area, uh, the soil temperature, and Gary Sullivan, you want to guess what it is? All right, Gary's not going to guess. At 39 degrees. I checked it yesterday in our area. It was 39 degrees. So 39? Yeah, that's where the that's where your soil th- thermometer comes in handy. I was going to guess 50 degrees. See, and, and, fo- and I, it actually kind of surprised me. Now, Next week, when we start getting warmer nights, and you know how we use this to calculate our green lawns, warmer nights are the key, and it starts getting warm at night and during the day, soil temperatures are going to start to come up. But we aren't even close right now in our area for these weed seeds to germinate, so not a big rush to get your pre-emergent herbicides down. But if you do, you can do it this time of the year. Remember that you did it earlier. You're going to have to reapply it earlier than you normally would. They'll last a little bit longer, but I'd still use the same rate that it shows that's on the bag. Mr. Wilson, so, I have a question. You do? I do. If I Go. put it down now, now you might have just said this. I don't know. I was half listening, okay? I was doing a little little show prep. I understand. All right. So um, if I put it down now, is it going to last long enough? I mean, the, if we get a lot of spring rains, I mean, do I have to reapply it, I guess, is my question. Yes. you Just like, just like you would have had we had unusual conditions after you put it down here's the kicker look at the bag it tells you how long it lasts so dimension she was talking about that is about can be 90 days 120 days so if you put it down today and thinking that the cooler temperatures it doesn't break down quite as fast 
with the microorganisms, they don't eat it quite as quickly. So mm. it may last a little bit longer for you, assuming a normal springtime. Right. But then you got count forward. Then that would be March, Maybe April, May. and May, and you're still in prime time in the middle of May. So, yeah, I'd come back with a second application to carry you into the summer. Or just wait a month. <laughs> or just wait it out. And that's my point. You know, soil temperatures haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. And I once like they get plans. to 55 degrees, then jump on it. So, you know, and if you're seeing weeds right now, Gary, you know what they are. They're the winter annuals winter that started to grow back in, in the fall. Yeah. So and, you just, and you know what, Ron? I'm all about easy, so you just told me to wait, so I'm waiting. <laughs> Good. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, st- I, have to, I, have to, I need to ask your permission for something. Please do. Reed and I are giving a little talk, uh, sponsored by the arthritis fo- uh, folks and all, about um, gardening as you get older, gardening with arthritis and things like that, making it easier. And I said, here's a good title for you. How about It's All About Easy? I think you should use that. <laughs> Actually, that's not exactly the way I put it, but it, it's you know, it's all about easier gardening. I thought you were going to want me to come stumbling on stage or something. Well, we do, as an example. <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> but I, but I, I gave you credit, and I said, just like Gary Sullivan says, it's all about easy, and this whole thing would be about how to make gardening easier for you. And they said that's outstanding. If if it's all about easy, it'll be all about fun. It it can be a lot more fun if it's a lot more easy. That's exactly right. So we we stole that from you yesterday. I hope it's okay. It's absolutely fine. Okay. Just just wanted to make sure. (laughs) Because it's all about easy. Because it's all about easy. That's exactly right. So what do you got cooking for today? Oh my gosh. Is this unbelievable? I know you've been talking weather. You've been busy as heck. People are in the spring mode. It's the middle of February. I know. When you go outside and you start looking about painting and all that kind of stuff, your head starts spinning. Can they, you know, I talk about waiting. Do you say wait or you say just get oh, on hey, it? Hey, listen, this week, go for it. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, go you got, you, you know, you're looking five days of all pretty the way warm to temperatures. Like Friday. Yeah. I mean, it's like a week and your temperatures at night, like you said, they're going to be warming up with the new types of. Higher grade acrylics like the um, the the PPG Timeless, uh, the uh, Porter Paint um, uh, exterior paints, uh, the Acro Shields, those things can be used down to thirty five degrees. So we're you're so good to go. You're good to go. Absolutely, boy. There, you know what? There's some guys out there right now shaking their heads, going, "No, why did he say that?" <laughs> well, that's why I always wear a hat. And I pull the brim down when I go to the grocery store. See, I'm telling people to wait, and you're saying go for it. Well, then they got to be doing something. Well, you know all the leaves that were in my yard. Yeah, that's on my project tomorrow. I'm getting them. I'm not going to do the lawnmower because I, I don't want to get run out of the neighborhood. Two people this week I saw mowed, mowed the grass. No, yep. Two lawns See, I saw. They went out and cut that brown off. I'm telling you, Gary, they took that brown off the top. Their it's lawns still are green. They they're green as can be. I'm t- yeah, I agree with you. I can't so, believe somebody actually mowed their grass. So. Yeah, they went out and cut the tops off, and it looked pretty, pretty darn good. See, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that my but you house know, would be picketed. But you know what? That they collected up all the debris that fell in there. They cut off the brown on the top. I mean, it looks, it looks good. I mean, it was, it's a, it was the one pass over, and you collected everything at one shot. So why not? And I guess it really depends on what type of grass you have. I noticed. Some lawns are really brown. Others are just kind of brown. Some yards are kind of green. Yeah, it depends on on your feeding. It depends on the type of grass you have. So you're right. And the ones that are really brown, 
are probably the ones that either have nimble will, zoysia grass, something like that that goes dormant over the winter yeah. and then fires back up sometime mid to late May, early June, uh-huh. which is why I don't like those kind of grasses. Yeah. Although a lot of people do, but I, I got, not, I got not a lot of, of brown. I don't know what I got. Well, but see. It's fescue. I planted fescue. I don't yeah, but if Nimblewill moves into an area. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I got. You get these patches of brown. Yeah, I think I got a little bit of that. I tried killing it and planted grass seed. Yeah, you remember. You lived that yep. or with me. Yep, yep. And it came up and it was great, but the Nimblewill came back after about a year and a half. Hmm. So I said, okay. <laughs> I'm about easy. You, you obviously right. want to be here more than I don't want you here, so you <laughs> so win. You win. <laughs> keep keep going. <laughs> I don't yeah. have a problem with it anymore. You I, win. I do have a serious question for you. Okay. Um, I have these two countertops at our checkout area that are they are like aluminum. I guess it's galvanized that they put on top. It's, it's wet, weatherproof. You can put them outside. Yeah. But it's kind of, you know, it kind of gets that it was a nice, bright, shiny silver. Now it's kind of a... It's oxidized. Yeah, it's oxidized. So how do I clean that back off? Because if I seal... Can I seal that? You could seal with a lacquer. I don't know if you're really going to remove all the oxidation. It really depends what it is. If it's galvanized, the natural um, uh, galvanized is is kind of bright, shiny, and silvery. But then as it oxidizes, it kind of turns to, you know, like a battleship gray. Right. But you can seal that. So I should clean it first, though, right? Why? Uh, that's what I'm asking you. Yeah, you only have to. It's been outside, so it feels kind of. I just thought maybe I need to clean it off before I put the. Well, I mean, over. if it, it well, and I guess how would I, I kind of jumped when when you said clean it, I went clean off the oxidation. I wouldn't necessarily do that. Yeah. Like you can go ahead and clean it off. You know, get rid of the dust, the dirt, the mold, the mildew, the the gunk. So I don't want to. Do I want to get involved with um, steel wool? If you use like a three odd steel wool and maybe a little. Uh, um, trisodium phosphate, that'd probably clean it up really, really nice. Trisodium phosphate? Yeah, TSP. You can get TSP free, um, okay. which is just a good, strong cleaner. I, I don't even really think you need to even do the uh, uh, steel wool. Uh, okay. I, I wouldn't worry about getting it shiny again. I'd just let it No, I just want to make sure it's clean. Great. Well, and again, if you have a good, stiff scrub brush, uh, some oxygenated bleach or trisodium phosphate, I think you'd get it plenty clean. That's what I'll do. And I don't even think I'd worry about sealing it. Just let it be. If that's what you say, that's what I'll do. If it's I galvanized what metal, you say. if it's galvanized metal, that's what I say. Then I'm with you. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Gary Sullivan coming up next on most of these stations. If not, uh, go to his website and find out where he is coming up. It's GarySullivanOnline.com. Of course, great information there for you as well. So be sure and check it out. Thanks to all of our callers today. Thanks to all of our sponsors. Thanks, of course, to uh, Joe Strecker, who was, was in earlier on, and then Dr. Z for the last part of the show. Uh, thanks to both of them, because without both of them, uh, the show just wouldn't go. Now, do yourself a favor. Think about where you're going to plant that tree this spring and make it the absolute best weekend of your life. See ya. Gardening has never been easier with gardening solutions from Ron at 1-800-823-TALK. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.